You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. This podcast is developed in collaboration with the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy and their Flip the Pharmacy team and paid for through CDC grant funding provided by the Pennsylvania Department of Health to the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association, broadcasted exclusively on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Beyond the SIG, your prescription for transformative community pharmacy care. My name is Brooke Kalusich, and I am a third year student pharmacist at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. Today, I am joined by Garrett Sipes, PharmD. He is a Pitt Pharmacy graduate and now a pharmacist at Chambers Apothecary in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. As a member of the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network, Chambers Apothecary has been a leader in pharmacy practice transformation efforts, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Recently, Chambers has expanded their point of care testing services and implemented COVID testing at their pharmacy. Today, Garrett is going to share his pharmacy's journey through this process and provide some valuable lessons learned for pharmacists looking to get involved. So Garrett, it is great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, It is uh, great to be here, a pleasure to be on the podcast. Um, A little surreal as I listen to so many of these. Um, Now I'm actually on one. So hopefully whoever's listening to this, uh, I don't put you to sleep while you're folding laundry or driving or uh, running. So looking forward to it and looking forward to talk more about uh, what we've encountered so far along this uh, journey into COVID testing. Thanks, Garrett. So let's get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your professional background, your current role, and what it's like at your practice site at Chambers Apothecary? Sure. Um, So as you had mentioned, I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh in 2011. Uh, It seems like forever ago at this point. But um, at that point that I moved to St. Louis with my wife, that was where she was from. Um, All the way through school, I didn't really know uh, what practice setting would really fit my personality the best. Having worked in a couple now, and I'm sure you can attest to, uh, it never ceases to surprise me how vastly different um, experiences as a pharmacist are. Um, Going from hospital to big chain to an independent community pharmacy, they're all so drastically different. Um, But all the way through school, I had known that patient care um, and underserved populations were kind of really my passion. And I remember actually one of my rotations with Stephanie McGrath, uh, where she had just recently been one of the first people to gain access to Outcomes MTM platform. It was pretty much new at that point. And I remember just sitting there in awe thinking, look at how, how all of this works, you know, the details of providing patient interventions. And then even though it's limited, still billing for those services. Um, I, I carried that focus with me throughout my career so far. Um, uh, as, as, as my coworkers can attest to, I'm always working the MTMQ. I'm always trying to find those patient interventions and helping to improve outcomes. So when we moved to St. Louis, I took a job with Walgreens because there's literally one on every corner in St. Louis. Um, Even though they're a big chain, I was actually impressed with their forward thinking programs, uh, especially when I graduated. 
to give the younger listeners some perspective, and I tell this story to my patients all the time, uh, vaccines weren't the norm when I graduated. It, it kind of sounds crazy, but I remember as part of our onboarding process with Walgreens, we went through the APHA vaccine training, and that was my first experience really with even providing vaccines. Um, I actually would think about think about that earlier today. I mean, that was a decade ago. Um, I don't feel that old, but but um, that really puts it in perspective of just one decade, how much has changed in the practice of pharmacy. So who knows what it's going to look like in 2031, um, 10 years from now. Uh, so along with a focus on vaccines, at that point, the Missouri Walgreens were piloting uh, point of care services at the pharmacy. So they were trying to provide general wellness checks to both uh, Walgreens employees and also uh, partnered businesses. So I was also trained on how to complete a basic wellness visit. So blood pressure, blood pressure, um, we did body composition, and then we did a, a finger prick for cholesterol and A1C. And again, that was kind of, you know, my, my first beginning into point of care is something that pharmacists could even do. Um, so long story short, we moved back to Chambersburg, which was my hometown in 2016. And then I started working at Walgreens here and then transitioned to Chambers in 2019. So Chambers uh, Apothecary as a practice site, it's quite a unique opportunity. Um, when I moved back to the area, I'd kept my eye on the independent pharmacies in town. Um, I thought it would be a better opportunity to provide that patient care that I was really excited about. Um, and as our owner at, at Chambers framed the choice to me about a year and a half ago, uh, he said it's like um, taking the red pill in the matrix. So, you know, he sat me down and he said, you really have a choice. You have the blue pill or the red pill. Um, and a year and a half later, and I'm still really trying to figure out how deep this rabbit hole, go rabbit hole goes uh, to quote the matrix. So um, th this pharmacy is, is pretty idyllic. It's in uh, downtown Chambersburg, which, you know, being born here, that's part of my, the part that I love about it. Um, as I'm sure it's common in most small towns uh, in days gone by, Chambersburg had a number of uh, pharmacies right on the, the square downtown. Um, and we're just two blocks off the square in our repurposed bank. But I still love tapping into that old time feel, um, which is kind of awesome too. The reason the, the phrase apothecary kind of sets us apart. Um, and we actually have two old show globes in, in the pharmacy, which I always enjoyed learning that history piece uh, through school as far as, you know, what it was like to be a pharmacy um, decades ago. So uh, along with being downtown and again, catering to a somewhat underserved population, we provide a number of services as well. We have the traditional pharmacy model. We do DME and home health services and also have a sterile and non-sterile lab. So really the pharmacy was already before I got there doing a little bit of everything, trying to broaden, you know, ways that they could practice care and ways that they could continue to do services that were a little more non-traditional. Uh, uh, we also rent out space to a wellness center, which provides uh, uh, some other non-traditional treatment options and focuses on gut health supplements, that type of thing. Uh, when I was hired, I was hired to kind of help take the clinical services to the next level. So I've ex started expanding any and all services that we can provide um, from the traditional MTM, like I mentioned earlier, to smoking cessation, vaccines, point of care. I'm always looking at kind of what the next thing is to really continue to move our profession forward and, and be paid for our services. Thank you, Garrett. Yeah, we have had so many great pharmacist leaders on this show sharing the innovative ways that they've implemented pharmacy practice transformation at their sites. And, and this year, they have stepped up more than ever due to COVID-19. So how has Chambers Apothecary adapted and continued to provide care during the pandemic? Yeah, it's... um. 
it's been a crazy 12 months, as I think everyone can attest to. Um, and, and early on in the spring, as I'm sure other pharmacies experienced, the first change for us was going into team mode. Um, Chambers actually has two sister stores that's about one's a half an hour away and one's about an hour and a half away. Um, so at first I was actually kicked off the island, went to the uh, the store that was a half an hour away for the first six weeks of the pandemic. Again, we were trying to divide divide out if there are any concerns with one group of people getting infected, then we wouldn't have to shut down all the pharmacies. Um, I know it sounds crazy as we're in the middle of this global pandemic, but I've actually been... Um, I've been impressed with the number of ways that it's brought a lot of change to um, to my life and some unique opportunities that just wouldn't have existed beforehand. Um, looking back at at PPA and PPCN, I actually went back and looked at when when my membership started, and it was March 28th. So going into this pandemic, I just really hadn't figured out what the independent pharmacy landscape was in Pennsylvania. Um, when you work for a big chain, these professional networking and organization opportunities are usually a bridge too far. Um, it also didn't help in my specific situation. I moved halfway across the country uh, and lost, lost a lot of those natural networking opportunities that would have come if I had stayed a little more local. Um, so it was, it was really interesting going into this, not really having an idea of what other pharmacies in the area were doing, uh, other independent pharmacies. So Early on in the pandemic, I began relying heavily on PPA and PBCN for their clinical resources. Um, they were doing a, a weekly COVID webinar, which was a great way to see what other independents were doing, making sure that we were kind of following suit or making sure what we were doing was making sense. Um, there's a couple independent, independent pharmacies in Chambersburg, but we're so geographically isolated from bigger cities. And so it was really nice to be able to see, hey, this is what people are doing in Pittsburgh. This is what people are doing in Philly. Um, I made a lot of contacts up around Allentown and just to be able to say, hey, this is what is happening in other parts of the state, you know, how we handled PPE, how we did um, social distancing, attendance policies, closing the pharmacy to patients, and how we handled all that. It was, it was good to really feel like I had a pulse of the whole state and what other pharmacists were doing in this um, situation. So along with that, some of the more unique opportunities were the weekly webinars, this podcast, ironically. Um, both of those really helped me get to and from work on that longer commute that I had. So it was great to really be involved throughout the throughout the pandemic and see what other pharmacies were doing. Chambers in particular started doing uh, producing large quantities of hand sanitizer early on. Uh, interestingly enough, we've been able to leverage that experience and scalability um, to rapidly, rapidly increase our testing capabilities. So that's been one of those things that the smaller steps we took in the spring and the summer have really helped us to learn how to make these bigger processes work. Other than that, it was business as usual as much as business is usual. Um, continue to, to, to help um, help patients. You know, we already had a delivery system in place. So just continue to use that and continue to keep patients out of our store in those early days. Um, again, I was barely connected to PPA or PPCN at that point, And I was trying to gauge the viability of uh, even acquiring a CLIA waiver at that point in the spring. As spring and summer progressed, I had done enough research to determine that we actually might be able to pull this thing off and get a waiver. Um, as I had told myself throughout the entire summer, and I'm sure everyone else had this thought in their mind, um, you know, what can I do to bring sports back or fill in whatever the normal thing was that you were looking forward to? 
Yeah, and, and to top that up, as you alluded to, Chambers Apothecary has recently implemented the COVID testing. And I think our listeners are really going to find some value in you sharing this process because I imagine it wasn't without its challenges. So can you tell us a little bit more about that process and what were some of the regulatory barriers that you encountered along the way and how did you overcome them? Yeah, that's that's uh, spot on to that question. Regulatory barriers and and um, processes along the way. So I'm sure most of the listeners are aware, um, thanks to the hard work of PPA, that these restrictions have been lifted on requirements for a lab director. So more pharmacists will be eligible. Um, but I acquired mine before that that change had been made. Um, I remember emailing Stephanie McGrath early on and saying, "So here's what I did in St. Louis. What are the chances you think I have of actually?" getting a lab license. And she was like, well, I think you might be able to do it. Go ahead and start through the process. So um, so I updated my CV, highlighted all that lab experience as far as doing the point of care for the cholesterol, for the cholesterol readings, um, and started completing the necessary paperwork. It's, it's not that difficult. I'm sure a lot of pharmacies are moving through the process now. Um, filling out the CLIO application isn't too hard, but you just have to have all your ducks in a row all your documentation there and everything set and completing the paperwork. Uh, pro tip for everyone who's going through the process or thinking about going through the process, make sure you do your federal and your state application in unison. I had done my federal, sent it in, and they said, oh, you don't have a state application. I was like, oh, well, I guess I should probably finish that and send it in too. Um, I remember in particular one Friday morning um, in late spring, I got a call from the Department of Labs. I knew it was kind of like the last hurdle. I had gone on my paperwork in. This was the last thing that they needed. Um, she talked me through, you know, looking at my lab experience, um, asking, asking me if I knew how to properly document all of the test, test results, which isn't difficult, but just, you know, wanted to confirm that I had had, had experience. Um, and then she also requested a copy of my diploma, which I was like, oh, that's kind of odd. Um, but I knew this might be the last piece of the puzzle. So I, I drove home real quick. Um, snapped a picture of my diploma and emailed her to her that morning. And then we received our, our, our um, CLIA waiver in June. So that was early, but then came the more difficult part of uh, waiting for tests. So it took us a while to even have the availability to order tests. So let's walk through the workflow when a patient arrives at Chambers Apothecary for a COVID test. So are you utilizing an appointment-based model and how are patients triaged? What's the follow-up process look like? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, this is something that's really come into place in the past six weeks. We actually acquired tests the week of Thanksgiving and we started at, you know, zero and gone to 60. Um, we're providing, you know, dozens of tests a day at this point. So during the summer, I had connected with CPSN. So at that point, I had gotten more involved as far as figuring out all of the intricacies of PPCN and their partnership with CP CPESN. Uh, and CPESN was offering weekly COVID testing webinars. So this was crucial in getting our policies in place, thinking through workflow, being confident that we could perform testing like a number of other CPESN pharmacies across the country have already been doing for months. Uh, as far as the, the specific workflow to us, we've used Acuity as our scheduling software and also really the backbone of documentation, scheduling, and workflow. 
Um, we're not billing insurances at this point, which was a decision we made pretty early on. We did go through all the steps to be contracted with Medicare Part B as a lab, but even then the, the workload of contracting with and billing each medical plan isn't really worth it at this point. Um, that's something I'd like to pursue in the future as we continue to, to figure out what testing looks like moving forward. Uh, but everything's scheduled on our website, um, which has Acuity embedded into our COVID testing webpage. So along with the, the scheduling platform, the scheduling piece of our webpage, I tried to consolidate and simplify as much information about testing as possible onto one single landing page. So as I've, as I've learned through this process in the past six months, there's so many unknowns about testing that I, I really wanted from day one to be as transparent as possible. Um, you know, this is the test we're doing. These are the specifics. It is, you know, EUA or emergency youth use authorized, you know, this is what we're doing. Um, so I put everything there. The patient fact sheet is on there, which for those of you interested in what tests we're doing, uh, we're offering the Care Start antigen test. That's one of the few readily available tests at this point and also doesn't require an analyzer. So through the past six months of complete chaos and waiting and figure out what was going on, um, a lot of the analyzers really slowed down the process. So you could order tests, but you could never get the analyzer. A lot of times the government would come in and buy all of the analyzers before, before they were even manufactured. Um, and so really that was one of the pieces where, where the manufacturing process just could not keep up. Um, but back to the, the website. So everything is on there. I also put our CDC guidelines for patients who are positive or negative. And my goal, like I said, was really to get an FAQ that would answer 95% of the questions that patients and staff would have. So they really felt comfortable with that whole process. So anyway, patients book online, fill out the intake questionnaire that we built through Acuity, and then pay with a credit card, HSA, or PayPal. Uh, at that point, the uh, booked appointment drops into our scheduler software, which we are keeping an eye on all day long. Um, we've created a work workflow through Acuity of noting when we print off the paperwork, um, when we add the test results back into Acuity, and then when we document the test results into our pharmacy software, which is Pioneer, as well as the state database for reporting test results. So we really use Acuity as a way to capture the patient information, including the intake forms, also then keep track of where the patient is in workflow, and then a final check to make sure everything's been documented. Because as I've said from day one, this is one of the things where you need to have 100% compliance on documentation. And you also don't want to be reporting, you know, negative results to the, um, to the test, the, to the Pennsylvania Department of Health when they were positive or vice versa. So we wanted to make sure we were 100% compliant the whole way through this process. Uh, as far as triage goes, um, because we're not billing insurances and we have an abundant supply of tests, we haven't really had the need to specifically triage based off symptoms or exposure time or that type of thing. Um, I know some other pharmacies, they'll get the information, look at it, say, okay, this patient needs to be priority one today. This patient needs to be priority two today. We haven't had that necessarily as big of a concern because, because we have enough tests at this point. So if there is something that's more critical or time sensitive, we can bump them up in the scheduling software and get them in and out as soon as we can. Uh, a lot has changed from what I envisioned assessing to be to where we are now. 
Um, I had thought it'd be like a one or two person gig. You know, I would do the majority of the testing. We would schedule time before and after the appointment to do a lot of the documentation in real time. And then that would be kind of where we stayed, but the demand very quickly eclipsed any expectations that I had. Uh, we began scheduling tests every 10 minutes as opposed to every half an hour, which was my initial thought. Um, we've allowed double booking per time slot to get as many people in as we could. And then most slots actually fill up same day. So I had I had a picture that we would have these things kind of 24 hours in advance. We know here's my patient set for today. This is what I'm looking at. This is our demand. Um, but that demand just quickly grew. Um, so like I said, we have most of the slots actually being filled same day, but we're still able to get it through the acuity software, which means we're tracking every single tests that we do. Currently, as far as workflow goes, we have two to three swabbers, kind of what we call them, so the um, people actually performing the tests, and then one to two people on the inside of the pharmacy uh, communicating via walkie-talkies, and another one's printing paperwork, completing documentation, and running the supplies out as needed. Um, as I alluded to earlier, from our hand sanitizer days, we had acquired a trailer to deliver large buckets to a local health organization, so we re we repurposed this trailer into our lab. I uh, parked it in the parking lot and that's kind of our, our home base for testing. Um, as, as is a good recommendation, the, the goal that we're shooting for in most pharmacies are is that you wanna have testing completely outside of your pharmacy, just so you're not dragging potential contaminants in and out all day long. So that's kind of the A to Z of our workflow as, as it stands. Thank you. Yeah, it sounds like you've got your process down pat, and I'm sure it's a team effort, though. So can you speak to what members of the pharmacy staff are involved in the process? What are the roles of your pharmacy technicians, your students, and anyone else that might be helping out? Yeah, again, as I had mentioned, I thought this would be a, a one-person show, you know, maybe me and one other technician, but uh, that very quickly did not was not feasible when we started uh, increasing volume quickly. Um, so we've we've transitioned it almost completely from a pharmacist role to a lab technician role. And if you haven't gotten into testing yet or you're looking at testing, uh, one of the important pieces of the puzzle is really uh, solidifying these uh, lab responsibilities and lab positions. Uh, so in the state of Pennsylvania, a little different than other states, um, there is a lab, uh, lab, um, sorry, a lab director, and then lab supervisors, and then lab technicians. So lab director would be me, and up until a couple weeks or months ago, it had to have someone who had the two years of lab experience, that's what really got everybody stuck in Pennsylvania was you had to have a professional license and two years of lab experience. Um, so you have a lab director and then you have lab supervisors and a supervisor or director has to be on site at all times in the state of Pennsylvania. So we made the pharmacists at our pharmacy lab supervisors. So then really the pharmacist on duty can double as a supervisor on duty for the lab part of the puzzle. That also means that we have a clinical person there as far as any questions that, that are asked that are a little more complicated or, you know, how long do I need to be um, isolated? You know, are my symptoms not matching what my test result says I have? What's going on? Um, any patient questions that are beyond the simple delivery of results, they get triaged to the pharmacist on duty at the time. So it's a really great opportunity if there's something that goes haywire or the patient isn't expecting the results, you know, we'll walkie-talkie into the pharmacy and say, hey, can you come out and talk to CAR so-and-so? You know, they got this result and they're trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, 
So that's our lab supervisor level. And then along with that, like I said, we have about a half a dozen lab technicians. So we started with three pharmacy techs who were willing to do testing. Um, and then again, as we started growing in mid-December, I'm looking there like, I have how many tests to do, to do today? How am I gonna handle this? Um, we started roping in two pharmacy students who are home for Christmas um, winter break. And we have also hired a few techs currently with um, testing exclusively in mind for the short-term future. So we've really moved it again, mostly a tech run operation um, with oversight, obviously from the pharmacist who's the supervisor on duty. And again, we're starting to get to the point where we're hiring more technicians just to keep up with the lab tech requirements. Okay, so now you and the team at Chambers, you successfully overcame all the regulatory barriers and you've streamlined your testing process. So is this going to open the door for your pharmacy to continue providing point of care testing? And what are your next steps and, and how do you see your services growing? Yeah, um, so yes, yes to that. That's kind of what my goal was through this whole process. Again, in watching those weekly webinars from CPESN, uh, I really noticed two common themes. Uh, one that was reiterated over and over again was that pharmacies can and should be offering testing, not only during this pandemic, but moving forward. And then number two, um, if we as a collective group of pharmacies can um, show payers the value and quantity of our clinical interventions, then they'll be more likely to reimburse us for services moving forward. So um, those are really the two things that, that we are moving toward. Uh, very early on, I saw this as, let's get the CLIA waiver, let's get everything in place, you know, even if we do COVID testing for a week, which honestly, I thought, hey, this might be around for two weeks, three weeks, and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, but even if we do COVID testing for a week, it's going to allow us to you know, learn the ropes of the lab requirements. And then as COVID wanes, hopefully soon, um, we'll move into flu, strep, A1C, cholesterol. Um, I had I had thought uh, back in the summer that we would, have, we would have had a traditional analyzer like a BD Veritor that could do flu, strep, and COVID. Like I said, the analyzers were just hard to find. Um, so that is the one piece of the puzzle that we're looking at trying to figure out, you know, it would be nice to have something where we, that we would be able to say you don't have COVID, but you have flu or this is what's going on. Um, so yeah, definitely adding more services as we go. Along with that, from a chamber's specific perspective, uh, right after we got our CLIA waiver, we started on our offsite waiver as well. Um, so I got my license for that a little bit after the CLIA waiver. So we're exploring ways to do offsite testing at our sister pharmacies or other locations that would need to come in, do some testing and then leave. Um, and that's a way that we're gonna continue to try to meet the demand in our area. Um, the other piece of the puzzle as I've alluded to is that I would love to continue to work on the documenting part of it. So we're currently we're documenting our lab results in Pioneer. Um, I'd like to, to turn those into e-care plans so we can continue to show the payers, you know, this is our benefit. These are the, the quantitative numbers of, of how much testing that we're doing. So those are two things, continue to, to provide more options, provide more tests, and then also work on the documentation part so we can prove to payers this is what we're doing. Awesome. So if I'm a pharmacist listening to this episode and I want to begin providing COVID tests at my practice site, what are some tangible first steps that I can take and, and where can I find more information? Yeah, so I, I started scribbling down some next step notes and then 
as I kept scribbling, the list kept get, kept getting longer. But uh, step one is pretty straightforward. Just get your CLIA license. Um, like I said, it's gotten easier in Pennsylvania recently, so it's not too difficult to get it now at this point. As a pharmacist, you are able to, to get it to provide uh, the majority of tests at this point. Uh, the first place that I stumbled onto back in the spring, which is, I would say, the best place to start would be uh, the PPA website. Uh, there's a series of six webinars there that they created probably about a year or two ago at this point. And that's a great place to start to just get your basics um, basics under your belt. Uh, you know, one of those webinars talked specifically about uh, filling out the CLIA application. One of them talked about what your lab binder needs, really the basics of here's the building blocks of being a CLIA waived lab. Um, so that's, I think, definitely the best place to go. And unlike what I did, when you fill out the CLIA application, make sure you have the state and the federal level one and send them together to the state. That will help to decrease the number of times you keep getting your applications back saying, hey, you missed this part. Hey, you need this part. But that's that's really all part of the process. It, it's a little daunting at first to think, oh my, I don't know what I'm doing. But really, they'll walk you through all the steps that you need to get all your paperwork in line. Um, the other thing, if you don't have one yet and you're a pharmacist listening to this podcast, go get your NPI number. Um, again, it's not difficult. It's pretty easy. just requires filling out some uh, information online. And back to Walgreens, that's one of the many gifts that Walgreens has given me that has kept on giving. Um, with that onboarding process, they got me an MPI at that point too. So many, you never know, and I'm pretty sure that your listeners know this, you never know what experience you're going to get in life that you're going to use later on in your profession. So that was a pretty cool thing too. Another training piece that I would highly recommend is the NACDS point of care training. Um, I did the one that was offered through, through the University of Pittsburgh back in, I think, April or May. I really can't recommend that training enough. Um, It'll help you be confident in your clinical abilities and get comfortable doing the testing yourself. So uh, unless you, well, even if you watch the videos online that, that are available, you know, you really need to walk through the basics of this is what a nasopharyngeal swab is. This is what a swab feels like. This is how it works. Um, I've done a lot of training of nasopharyngeal swabs in the past three or four weeks and walked a lot of technicians through, hey, this is this is the norm. This is what it feels like. You know, I've given my nostrils to science for quite a bit in the past couple of weeks. Um, but again, that'll make you more comfortable with the training itself. And uh, a little funny COVID anecdote. Uh, I did that training back in April or May in the, you know, the the lockdown, the lockdown zone time. And so it was one of my first experiences with Zoom. I was up in my attic, which is the only place in my house I can have any kind of quiet time where I'm recording this podcast. And I remember sitting there thinking, I have no idea how to use Zoom. I don't really know what I'm doing. There's some guy just telling me how to shove these, you know, swabs up people's noses. And the worst part was we had to prove our proficiency at the end. So I had to drag my then pregnant wife up into the attic and, and do a nasopharyngeal swab and a strep collection, uh, throat collection on her. I was like, this is, this is quite the surreal experience at this point in time. Um, Anyway, so along with the, the PPA or PPCN training and the NACDS training, the CPS, the CPESN um, webinars I listen to and also their testing website is, is definitely 
one of the places you, places you need to go to get a lot of those good resources. Um, if you're not in PPCN or CPSN at this point and you're listening to this podcast, I would say go ahead and join. Um, obviously, we're a relatively new uh, pharmacy to the group, but the resources on CPSN's website for testing and vaccines is well worth it. And I, I think I've also mentioned this a couple of times, you know, the number of times I've been able to just email someone from PPCN and say, hey, I... I, I don't know what I'm doing with this or, hey, this testing, you know, this part of the CLIA waiver came back. Can you walk me through what this looks like as far as adding this to lab binder? Or, you know, what do I need to do with the supervisors in this specific instance? You know, it's been great to be part of that integrated network of other pharmacies and pharmacists who are willing to work together to continue to push our profession forward. Um, so yeah, watching those weekly web webinars throughout the summer really helped me feel like I can do it and allowed me to learn from colleagues across the nation who had been doing it for months. Uh, those resource resources were also the building blocks for my policies and procedures and workflow ideas. So I was able to really, you know, kind of piece together some of those policies and procedures, operating procedures, and, and the nuts and bolts of how to do the testing. Um, also, as, as I've done with other pharmacies, feel free to look at our pharmacy website, uh, chambersapothecary.com, and you can see our COVID testing webpage and see all that information on there. And then also kind of the questionnaires and the way that the acuity scheduling is embedded into the, into the website. I had throughout the summer been on various pharmacy websites looking at, you know, I like this piece or this is a good way they worded this, or I like how they have their scheduling system here. Um, so I think that's a, that's a really important key to see how other pharmacies are doing it and see what works and doesn't work in your specific situation. Um, we've been able to funnel the majority of people through our website. So don't feel like you can't use um, contactless, contactless scheduling of appointments. I think as the COVID vaccines loom on the horizon, it's going to be important that we continue to figure out how to make as much of our processes contactless as possible. Um, so I did a lot of wandering there, but one, get your CLIA license, CLIA waiver. Two, if you don't have an MPI, get an MPI. And then three, start looking at resources, PPA, PPCN, NACDS, and CPESN. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. You've provided so many actionable takeaways based on your firsthand experience with this. And I know our pharmacists are really going to appreciate listening to how one of their colleagues has successfully implemented these services. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's been great. Like I said, it's been quite the adventure of the past year and a half, but it's been really encouraging to continue to be involved in all these pharmacies across the state and figure out how we can continue to push our profession forward. Thanks, Garrett. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to another episode of Beyond the SIG. Keep tuning in to learn more about the impactful stories shaping community pharmacy practice transformation. Thanks for listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. Be sure to check back with the Pharmacy Podcast Network soon for the next episode. To learn more about transforming the role of the pharmacist, visit pharmacists.com forward slash podcast. That's pharmacists.com forward slash podcast.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.